The belief that what is desired will become true. A feeling that looks forward with confident expectation. A source of courage in times of trouble. Each week, Damon Parker delivers words of hope to the Hope Church of Christ in Abilene, Texas, and to your computer. May you be blessed by words of hope this week. Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to that test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary mortals that you also weary my God? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. And before, for before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. When you cut through a lot of the red tape, it's pretty simple. The Israelites were in trouble. Uh, the house of David was in trouble. The city of Jerusalem was in trouble. What had once been a mighty kingdom had become two small, weak, divided kingdoms. And now around them began to grow empires. Assyria. Not long after that, Babylon. Persia, eventually the Greeks, and then Rome. And all of them would eventually run through that part of the Middle East. And so when Isaiah speaks to King Ahaz, uh, Jerusalem is scared to death. Uh, These people are coming and we can't stop them. We can't defeat them. We're not powerful enough. We need someone... To save us. When you cut through the red tape, our story is really simple, isn't it? We need saving. Now, however you want to think about what that means, whether you want to think we need saving from our sin, from our enemies... From our anxieties and fears, from the power of Satan, from the power of death, whatever you want to term it, we need to be saved. We are drowning. And we desperately need the lifeguard to jump in and rescue us. But just like the people in Jerusalem that day when Isaiah spoke, We are in luck. You see, there is this this God. Creator of the universe, maker of heaven and earth, Lord of all creation. 
the most powerful force that has ever existed. And the crazy part is, this God actually seems to care about us. And so, we have a chance to be saved. Throughout the Old Testament, He says, I'll do it. I'm going to save you. And we know He can. He is strong. He is powerful. He has an array of angels at His disposal. All the power of the universe is in His hands. And so, He becomes a baby. As KB said earlier, it is the most remarkable turn of events in history. To save us, He becomes us. To save us, He gives up His power and might. To save us, He lets go of all of His rights. The right of what it means to be God or the Son of God. To save us, He is born a baby. Now, for 2,000 years, people have marveled at this. Uh, Songs have been written about it. Uh, Poetry uh, laid down. You can read giant, huge, too long to read books about this one moment. Theologians spend their careers trying to figure out what it means and get to the end and don't know. Because, in many ways, it is unexplainable. There is a God more powerful than any human, more powerful than all the humans, more powerful than a sun or a thousand suns. There is a God more powerful than anything we've ever known who lays that power aside to become a baby, to somehow save us. It seems to me that perhaps we spend too much time trying to explain what that means instead of just sitting back for a moment and marveling. No one wants to sit by the person on a, on a fine night in West Texas, not this night, but many nights in West Texas, where you sit outside and the sun is setting and the colors begin to change and you see that where it's red and then there's that Yellow creeping up into blue. And no one wants to sit by somebody while you stare at that. We don't want to sit by the guy who goes, well, let me tell you how that works. See, when the sun goes down, there's... No! You want to stare at it. And enjoy it. And watch as the colors begin to fade and maybe a couple of stars begin to appear and marvel at it. You see, I think maybe too often what we do with Jesus is we try to explain what He means rather than marveling in the fact that He even came at all. We should be amazed that He was ever here. That God in the flesh walked on the earth. And so tonight, I'm inviting us to do one thing, and that is marvel. I'm not going to tell you tonight what to do with your life. Do whatever you want. I'm not going to tell you tonight how to take this and apply it. You'll figure it out. Tonight, I just want to ask you to, with me, stare. Stare.
and marvel at something a thousand times more amazing than a West Texas sunset. A God willing to become flesh to save His people. Let me employ some help. Karl Barth may be the most important theologian of the past hundred years. Which means he wrote a whole lot of stuff that is unreadable. And even after doing some studying of the man and finding him quite impressive, I don't know what he's talking about most of the time. But listen to what he says about the nativity. The nativity mystery conceived from the Holy Spirit and born of Mary means that God became human. Truly human out of His own grace. The miracle of the very existence of Jesus. I love this line. His climbing down of God. It's God climbing down. Is this. Holy Spirit and Mary. Here is a human being, Mary. And as He comes from God, Jesus comes also from this human being. Born of Mary means a human origin for God. Jesus Christ is not only truly God, He is human like every one of us. He is human without limitation. He is not only similar to us, He has become us. On the other end, one of my favorite authors, Frederick Buechner, says this, The incarnation is a kind of vast joke whereby the Creator of the ends of the earth comes among us in diapers. And until we too have taken the idea of the God-man seriously enough to be scandalized by it, We have not taken it as seriously as it demands to be taken. Anytime the idea of Jesus becoming flesh, becoming human, God becoming human becomes normal to us, we have not taken it for what it truly was. It should amaze us every time. I love what Flannery O'Connor says. For me, it is the virgin birth, the incarnation, the resurrection, which are the true laws of the flesh and the physical. Death, decay, and destruction are the suspension of the true laws. Think about that. We think that the true laws of this world are what? Death, decay, destruction... And what she says is the incarnation is so powerful that Jesus makes the true laws of this earth resurrection. Incarnation. Many of you like C.S. Lewis. The Son of God became man to enable men to become sons of God. And one of my favorites, Charles Dickens. It is good to be children sometimes, and never better than at Christmas. 
when its mighty founder was a child himself. Tonight, there are a bunch of children among us. I can look in that uh, nursery and see a couple of little heads. A bunch of little kids around here. That's what Jesus looked like. He was a child, a baby. A little one who toddled down the road with his mother. A young boy who played with his father's tools and probably did as good a job of helping his dad fix stuff as I did of helping mine. I was good at holding the hammer. That was about it. He became a teenager. Grew awkwardly into feet that were too big. His mother probably couldn't keep him in clothes that fit. He became a young man. We don't know much about him until he's in his 30s. Working in his father's shop. Making friends with other other young men who were busy working in their father's business. The experiences you have had If you think back, that time when you were four years old, when you awkwardly fell and broke your arm. The time when you were nine, when you got left at church and realized mom and dad had gone home in different cars and you were there. Hey, Jesus experienced that very thing. He got left at church when he was 12 years old. And they didn't just drive off. They made it to another town. Before they turned around and realized he's not with us. God became a child. It's craziness. It's insanity. It is the ultimate act of a God desperate to love and save his people. What will you do to save someone else? I know! I'll become a baby like them! And yet, 2,000 years later, here we sit, singing Silent Night and praising Him for coming to us. I relate this story often. But especially this time of year. Uh, the other night, uh, I was flipping through the channels and I heard the familiar music. You know, it's just a piano playing, but it's clear that it, Charlie Brown is happening. And we were talking, me and my son Barrett, about Charlie Brown Christmas. He's fascinated by the Christmas tree and Charlie Brown Christmas because it's it's a horrible Christmas tree, right? I mean, it... He talks about how sparse it is. Well, he doesn't use the word sparse, but there's nothing there. And then he puts the ornament on it, and it's bending over. And we had a we got an extra big star this year, and our tree is doing something similar. And so we talked a little bit about it. But every time we talk about it, it always takes me to the same place. Back to when I was a kid, fifth grade. When our music teacher got half the fifth grade and said, we're going to put on a show. It's going to be Charlie Brown Christmas. 
And we all thought this is tremendous, right? I mean, in my head, I imagined that somehow she would transform us into cartoons, but it's not exactly what happened. Most of the people got, it was a musical, so most of the people were in the choir, right? That's where you put everybody who can't act, which is almost everybody. But I got picked to play a part. And I was really excited about it because I just assumed I was going to get picked to play Charlie Brown. Okay? Now, the reason I assumed I was going to be picked to play Charlie Brown is because I had a giant ego. Uh, and so I just assumed I was the best and she'd want me to play Charlie Brown. So I tried out for Charlie Brown and I read the lines and I walked out thinking of what everybody else. <laughs> Good luck. You look like Pigpen. Um, I was not chosen for Charlie Brown. Rob Merriman was. Come to find out the reason we chose him was because he already had the shirt. Um, we didn't have a lot of money at our school, so we went for the guy who already had the Charlie Brown shirt. So instead, I was chosen to play Linus. You know, the blanket-carrying thumb sucker. That seems like a, a real joy there. Thanks. Thanks, Mrs. Weeks. Um, and I went home and I was really, I, I, I'll be honest, I was disappointed. Because I wanted to be Charlie Brown. It's a Charlie, it's not a Linus Christmas. It's a Charlie Brown Christmas. But if you've seen Charlie Brown as many times as I have, then you know that in reality, the biggest lines in the thing go to Linus. Because it's Linus who explains to Charlie Brown what the meaning of Christmas is. In fact, he quotes directly from the book of Luke, right after what uh, Logan and Jackson read earlier, when Mary gives birth. He quotes that to Charlie Brown and says, that's what Christmas is about. Now, at the time, I didn't think that way. I just thought, ah, it's Charlie Brown Christmas. I want to be Charlie Brown. But I memorized the lines, which is mostly that part of Luke, and I gave the lines while I carried the blanket. I think it took me almost 30 years after that to come to the realization that Linus is the best part. Because he gets to stand up and proclaim that God has become flesh. That Jesus has come as a baby. That there is hope. That there is peace. That there is a chance. That God hasn't given up on us. And I can prove it. There's a baby lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes and we should go and worship Him. You see, Charlie Brown Christmas is a cartoon, but it stars a little preacher who carries a blanket and sucks his thumb, but he preaches the good news, the greatest news that's ever been heard. He has come. He has come. What's interesting is Linus doesn't give a lot of explanation. He basically says, "Here's the th- this is the real meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. Tells him Luke, and Charlie Brown kind of goes, yep. Because there's nothing to explain. If God has become flesh, what else do I need to say? How how can I dress that up and make it better? I want you to imagine, just for a moment, just imagine that you could have been there. 
I'm pretty sure if you'd wandered upon that that scene, Joseph and Mary, and if you'd come upon it right before she had the baby or right after, I'm not sure you'd think, wow. It's a baby. I mean, babies are cool. I'm a fan. But, I don't think you'd walk up and go, oh, he's look, he's going. It's, 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 you know, there was nothing about him that screamed special. There was nothing about the place he was born. There was nothing about the town in which he was born. There was nothing about the country in which he was born. The time, nothing. There was nothing that screamed special. And yet, here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about that birth. If God became flesh, if we believe God became flesh, Maybe we should walk around with our mouths agape more. I will tell you one thing I think it should do for us. It should make us look at other people and be amazed at their holiness. God looked like you people. He looked like us. So much so that when Judas came to betray him, he had to give him a kiss to designate how that one was different than all the rest. Because he looked like all the rest. I get uh, told every once in a while, no, not every once in a while, about daily, uh, anytime we have a baby which is like... uh, Oh, you know, once a year. Um, I get told, oh my, that is definitely a Parker. If you've seen Everett, I mean, let's, uh, I mean, I'll be honest. He looks like Barrett, looks like Logan, looks like Grant. I mean, it's just, he does. They look like a Parker. And I kind of, yeah, I feel good, kind of, because then, but of course, they're going to look, they're going to grow up to look like this, so. It's kind of downhill from there, but God looked like us. He looked like us. He had a nose that was slightly too big. Calluses on his hands from working in the shop. That funny scar on his left knee from when he fell down chasing one of his brothers when he was nine. He looked like us. God wants us to be like Him, I have no doubt. But He knows that's really hard. So He chose to look like us. Tonight, as I look out at you, I'm filled, filled with 
wonder and love. Wonder at what God would do. And love for you. Love for you. Because just as He was the Son of God, you have become the children of God. Somehow, by becoming a baby, God gained a family. It's amazing. It's amazing. Last thing. Every time that we have a baby, there's a night, usually a few days after that baby is born, where Melody is just exhausted. I mean, more than normally. And she gives me this look that lets me know, like, I'm giving him to you and do not come wake me up. And I'll sit with a baby and our house will be quiet and everyone is asleep except for me and off and on the little one in my arms. And as it gets quiet and dark, I'll look at that little one and it will dawn on me God gave up one of these for me. He gave up a baby for me. There's nothing I would do in that moment to let that little one go. Nothing. But God did. How did He do it? How did He do it? We should... Marvel at what God has done. We should be amazed that God would come. And we should be thrilled at His willingness to look like Randy or Austin, even Elvis. Because that is love made flesh.
Sleep and-